Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord. And others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template... With Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. fact about today's episode. In August, I got to sit down with an incredible group of creatives, all of whom were featured in a new book called Vineyard Folk, written by Tamara Weiss and Amanda Benchley. And in this conversation, I got to talk to Tamara and Elizabeth Cecil, who did the incredible photos for the book, and Julie Vanderhoop, who is a tribal community activist and business owner, Michael Johnson, a glorious photographer and owner of the Michael Johnson Photo Gallery, Brooke Adams, an incredible actress and painter, and Brad Silberling, who is a writer and a director and a producer, all of whom live on Martha's Vineyard, all of whom are featured in this incredible new book that focuses on artists and creatives who live full-time on the island. It was such a special conversation. I felt so lucky to be there in conversation in front of a live audience, and I am so thrilled to bring Vineyard Folk to all of you. Enjoy. A-OK. A-OK. Welcome, everybody. Vineyard Folk, for those of you who already read it, you know this. For those of you who are going to get it at the end of this talk, is really um, 
a testament to the unbelievable creativity that lives on this island. So today, we're just going to talk about like what is it about this magical place, not just the fact that it's beautiful, but its history and its legacy that has something in the air that just inspires such incredible creativity. So all of you have a different origin story in terms of how you came to be a part of the, the Martha's Vineyard, not just a clinic community. But I feel like since you're here, are you settled now? <laughs> are you ready? I'm going to start with you. everyone. I see community when I look at each one of you and, and sort of where your heart is in your art. But if you don't mind my starting with you, A, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about, and this can be kind of stream of consciousness because you have been asked this question before, but when I ask you, tell me about Martha's Vineyard and what MV is for you, Aquina, mm -hmm. gay head, that curtain behind you, what sort of comes to mind today on this Thursday? Uh, I can always say that I start my day with a particular blessing um, most days. And it, uh, well, it's most people like to hear it. I've got it written next to my bedside table. <clears throat> I think we're, we need to speak loudly because we're not holding a right. mic and some people have requested water. Thank you. You guys can hear me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> speak you. into the water bottle. <laughs> Sorry, I've been running. <laughs> so it says, Manat wana ni kahunachik mosakwi tama hani wanikak unach. And that is, creator and ancestors, help me to hold tight to what is good. Let it be. That was a simple phrase, and I've said it for a long, long time. I, I don't know how long, but um, something that I often say over a table, it's written down on a little card, or um, for me, this land, Martha's Vineyard, not just Martha's Vineyard, but Boston to the Narragansett River to Provincetown, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket are the territorial homeland of my ancestors. And coming here and remaining here or being able to be here for any period of time is profound for me in the way that I feel like no place else in the world. Um, it grounds me. I have memories. My children have been brought back here, and when they travel the world, and they've been honored in many places in far, far away, like the Maori homeland and New Zealand, and when they came back here, they knew, my son actually wrote me a book, that we have the same thing. This mana is in our land, it's in the water that we drink, it's in the food that we grow, and when we see the sunsets and the magnificence of this place, we know that this is just like any other great place in the world, which there are all too few of. Um, 
It is from the ancestors' energy in the ground that we have witnessed many, 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 uh, you know, I would, blessings every day is a blessing. So knowing where you are from allows our children to understand and ground themselves in a world where often you cannot find how to ground yourself. Where is it coming from? How do you stick your hands in the earth and feel the warmth or the cold of it at any part of the season? You know, um, I try to to answer that question a lot. Yeah. Um, to try and bring an understanding to people that are out there, and that's one of the reasons why I built what I did was so that my people would get visibility. And I could say that we are still here to many, many people and not just welcome them to a corner, but welcome them to my territory and announce who we are as a generation that had started to speak so that people could hear us rather than being hidden in generations before me. And now the generation after is bringing the language. I just read the language but they speak it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And uh, these are so, it's such a marker. You know, for my people, we're only 1,600. How do we have a voice in this world? Right. It's a question every day, so. Well, all of you are going to, you know, all of your work is featured in this book, and Orange Peel, when you talk about what you built, that is a place when I think about community and all of the things, not just the food you make there, but sort of the happenings mm -hmm. that you create there. It's so much more, it actually reminds me, when I think of Midnight Farm, Tomorrow's store, all of you remember that, it wasn't just a store, it was a community, it was a salon, it was a place to gather. Mm -hmm. I met so many lifelong friends at your store, and I feel like Orange Peel, has that too. It's so much more than a place to make pizza, right? I think that for, for Aquila, that's really what I grew up with. The community and people gathering. Uh, we gather at Aquila Circle, we gather at potlucks, we gather together. And that was never broken down. There were no real walls. Right. Uh, it was very, very community oriented. And after living many other places in the world, I just don't have, I was at an affordable housing uh, groundbreaking. So that just now, made me, right? yeah, late, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, creating affordable housing to keep this community alive without worry about where our taxes are going. I'm more concerned with the community. How can we have a community if we only build big houses which aren't lived in? I want a community here, so I bring arts and the creativity to the generations behind me, for those who can not travel. But we need to be creative, and we need to understand how beautiful it is to just be here and to be able to create and bring the artist community back. Well, to that point. I think we can all go home now. I mean, so thank you all for coming. I feel like. like she does all the time.
appreciate what you do. I want to go to this side of the table for a second um, because the two of you have created the book that we are, you did all the photographs, but I just want to go back to sort of how did this come about? Vineyard folk that you were going to shoot these incredible artists in their natural habitats, as it were, and you, who is such a connector, kind of deciding I want to create something to celebrate these beautiful people. Can you go back in time a little bit and yeah, start I mean, that's with that? What Julie just said about the big houses. Yeah. This is a particular community. Um, a lot of you are part of it, not just here in Aquina, but on the island. And we are at risk of losing our creative and artistic friends that are here. And I think my co-author is Amanda Benchley. Elizabeth Cecil is the photographer in the book. And we, she mentioned to me one day that I just knew all these creative people. And why were all my friends artists? And why were they poets and writers and, and community leaders? And um, I said, because those are the people that live here, and those are my friends, and maybe it's time to celebrate and shine a light on this unusual group of people who live on this island, who get inspiration from this land. And we started thinking about why that is, and the future generations was definitely of interest to me. I didn't really want to make a book that was going to just say this is where these people are and this is these are their houses um, and these are their studios. It had to have a little more substance. So we decided to interview everybody. Um, I think that this group that's assembled right here is really interesting because you were saying who came before. Brooke, who is a painter and an actress, might, this might be a great time for her to speak about some of the painters that were here before you started painting on the vineyard. And one of the things that I love that you've done in the last year is Brooke has painted portraits of everyone from Lee the Postmaster in Chilmark that she sees every day to friends of hers and I mean, I'll just let you speak to that, but it's not just the painting, because you've, you've used this island um, as your muse for some yeah. acting as well. Yeah, well, the people here are so special. I know and love more people here than any place else that I, I mean, in New York, where I grew up, I don't have nearly as many people that I love. and. Los Angeles, where I lived for the last 30 years, I didn't have a lot of, I mean, it's just, this is the place where everyone I love lives. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was particularly thrilled. I did a painting of Alan Whiting, who you all know who he is, and his wife secretly bought it for him <laughs> from the gallery that we did with Kara. And, then I did a painting of Lynn, his wife, and Alan brought it. <laughs> so, you thought you were on to something? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I also love the community of artists because there doesn't seem to be any kind of uh, competition. It's like 
one person's success is everybody's success. That's the way it feels anyway. Everybody's always giving each other tips about what they're doing and um, some of the people who have inspired me, Thomas Hart Fenton, I, I love him, his work, and um, the Red Cap, what's his name, who inspired me to do the portrait. Stanley Murphy. Stanley Murphy, and he, his studio was, is now where um, Kara Taylor has her gallery, where I did my portrait show with a couple of other artists, and so it was kind of perfect, because it was those paintings that he did that I just, that inspired me to do this, um, to do that. And uh, I've been here for two months, and I probably paint every day for like eight hours. I just, it just, it just feels so right to be here, and to be doing things, and then seeing people, and it's just such a nice combination art and life and people. Do you remember the first time you came to Martha's Vineyard? I came with a boyfriend probably 55 years ago. We camped out. I had found a, a little baby squirrel in my backyard that the mother had thrown the squirrel out of the nest. And I brought the squirrel with us to camp out with us and I had him in a a kind of beautiful French bird cage and we hung in the trees where we camped out. And the last day we were here, I left him in the car for too long, went into the store, and when I came out, he was baked. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know it would be like a triggering story for you. <laughs> but so yes, you remember. You do remember. We buried him in Chapel Clinic. <laughs> Um, I'm over that now, but <laughs> then for very many, many years, starting like 35, 40 years ago when I first met Tamara, um, I used to come with a friend of mine, Pam, and we would come for two weeks usually and rent a place. And I was just thinking about it today. I almost don't go to the beach anymore. We go to Lambert's Cove in the morning because of my dog. And then I don't go to the beach anymore. And when Pam and I were coming, we would just spend the whole day at the beach. That's what we did. Beach and then cook at night. And that's when I first fell in love with this place. Well, you're sitting next to someone whose photographs of this place are some of the most beautiful photographs ever, but also particularly capture the light, the people, the landscape. Um, Michael's photograph called Joy, I had a tote bag with that photograph on it before I even knew the history of that photograph. Mm -hmm. So you are known for so many things, but it's fair to say that has become a truly iconic photo and, and something that you're very known by, but there's so much more. So I wonder, I would love to hear the story of that photograph. I'm sure you've been asked many times, but I've never been able to hear it from you directly. Yeah. And also like your origin story, coming to this island and finding it as a muse for you and your relationship to photography here. And if you could just share a little bit about how you became a part of such a vital part of this creative community. Well, thank you. And uh, my first 
experience here, like Brooks, was a camping experience as well. Um, Tamara's soul sister, Willa's parents, Willa Shallot's parents, had land on T Lane. And I was living in a little town called Leonia, New Jersey. And so we had, it was 1974, we have our crew of so-called hippies hanging out in the park there, uh, trying to be hippies, but we were just suburban kids with uh, hippie dreams. Uh, one day a friend of mine came running up breathless. He's like, huh, huh. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, we're all going to Martha's Vineyard. I'm like, where's Martha's Vineyard? He said, I don't know. But we're all going. I'm like, I'm going too. So we came up with about six to eight carloads of people from Brooklyn and New Jersey and camped out on their land for about 10 days. And that was my first vineyard experience. And basically, we had our little campsite there. We went to Lucy, which was called Jungle Beach there. We went to Gayhead Beach. And we went home. And so that was all I knew of it. And then in subsequent summers, uh, Willa would rent a house. And again, all of her friends would converge on the house. Uh, and we would go to the beach, party at the house, and go home. So I had no real experience of it other than the vacationist experience. Uh, in 1981, it just hit me that I wanted to take a video production course. It just came into my mind. Uh, as I always tell people, God spoke to me in my ear and I listened to him. So I went and took that course. Subsequently, I borrowed $350 from my dad to buy my first 35 millimeter camera because it wasn't about buying a whole video setup because those were very expensive at that time. You couldn't just do it on your phone as you can now. Uh, and it just struck me, <clears throat> excuse me, that I hadn't been to the vineyard in a long time. So I said, why don't I just take my camera and go up to Martha's Vineyard for a few days? So I called Willa and I said, well, where should I stay? And it was off season. So she said, well, Oak Bluffs is the only place where things are happening, so Oak Bluffs. So I made a few phone calls, found a place there which was called the Captain's House then. It was next to the Betancourt's Garage and booked nine days there. And it was my first time here by myself, my first time in real off-season, and my first time spending time down island and meeting the island, real island. It's not that no anyone else here is not a real island. But I mean people who were here hardcore year-round, many of them born here, and, uh, and a working-class set of people that I, that I didn't know from the island previously because all my friends were vacationists. Uh, after the fourth day, I said, that's it. I'm going home. I'm selling all my shit. I'm moving to Martha's <laughs> to be an artist. And that was what I did. Two weeks later, I was back here mid-May. Um, the next day, I had a job and a place to stay by 11 in the morning. 
renting a room on a house that looked out, if you know where Offshore Ale is, the house they call the Carousel House. So I rented the upstairs uh, house uh, room looking out on Ocean Park, and that was my first living experience here, $200 a month to live on Ocean Park. And Mr. Brown still lived downstairs? He had just gone into the hospital, actually, at that point, and passed just before I came back. But Mrs. Brown was still there and lived there through 87. So I lived with Mrs. Brown, basically. And she would uh, take some winters off, so I would be in the house by myself through the winter, which was wonderful with the little bit of the shining going on <laughs> occasionally. But, uh, but generally, you know, a great experience. But I worked painting houses. I came up to be a photographer. I worked painting houses, uh, worked mostly with local guys, with the occasional travelers who were up for the summer. But it was a great experience. But what it allowed me to do also was to learn how to be an artist because everyone's talking about the artist community here. And back then we had folks like, there were five year-round theater companies working on the island, community theater. Uh, Mary Payne, Lee Fierro, people like that you got to know intimately and hang out with, you know. And these people were real artists, you know, for me, especially then, you know. Uh, and it was, it was a great place to be, to learn, uh, to learn what I couldn't learn just by myself, because the camera was really not a big challenge, and I had spent loads and loads of time reading books on the great European painters and had a bit of an eye already. So, you know, your eye is always developing. So that was ongoing, but learning how to be an artist from these people who had dedicated their lives to the arts was something that I got to do for the 15 years that I lived here then. But my time was out after 15 years and I moved to California after that, but, and had tears when I left. But leaving allowed me and a lot of things to come together for me that allowed me to come back in this iteration and be a part-timer here, but have a gallery that is relatively successful, you know, and have a bit of fame and a little notoriety as, <laughs> as well. And so leaving was actually a good thing in the long run and brought me back to do that. And as to joy, uh, the image, I had a friend, I had a friend who was one of the Oak Bluffs Polar Bears, the group that is in it. So what they do is 4th of July through Labor Day, every morning, 7.30, they go in the water with all comers and exercise and celebrate life at Inkwell Beach. And they've been doing this for decades there. So it is very much an island tradition. Uh, so my friend was a member, and she kept telling me, you gotta come and photograph us doing this thing. And I'd never heard of them, even though I lived in Oak Bluffs for years. When you're here, you're in your realm of things you do. When I went to the beach, I went to Gayhead Beach, because I'd be natural there, you know? <laughs> I didn't do uh, Inkwell Beach there, where you had to, uh, whatever. 
But, uh, <laughs> Wear a bathing suit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so one morning I went down and the water was flat and beautifully calm and a few of them started to wade in and as soon as I saw them wading in the water I knew that this was not only photogenic but very, very special in a lot of different ways, spiritually, culturally, socially, historically. I knew it was, so I knew I had to dedicate a lot more time than just going down. So I've been photographing them since 2010. I'm creating a catalog of the people who were involved in this. Uh, one morning I had seen, it was probably the fourth time I went down. And I had seen, so I had seen what they do. So at the end, they do an they do songs, chants, affirmations within it. They do one affirmation, the first line of which is, "I am the source of my joy and infinite possibilities." And at the end of the affirmation, they all raise their arms. So I said, "I need to create an image of that." So I went, and I am not one of the photographers who puts their camera on continuous and brrrr, and something's going to be good. I'm still very much old school. Even though I use a digital camera, I shoot in a very traditional manner of catching a particular moment. So they did it, they raised their arms, I shot four frames, I went home that evening and I looked at them and I said, okay, that's trash that's okay, that's good, that one will sell a few photos. And that was joy, actually, I said, it'll sell a few photos, people will like it. Uh, and little did I know that it would become what it was, you know. Do you know what made it break through? I mean, that's the thing about being an artist. Yes. You have to do the work and you never know which is the thing yes. that will, if you're lucky, yes. sell, as you said. Luck has something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, people always ask, did you have an inkling? And I said, uh, no, I didn't have the slightest inkling of what it would become. But I believe that it's, it's universality. Everyone is portrayed in silhouette so they can be any person. Right, right. The up, uh, raised arms of joy and rejoice and praise is universal. Hawaii, Japan, all over the world, people raise their arms in celebration. The water and the sacred circle. So all of those things are universal symbols that everyone recognizes. And I think that's what gives it its broad appeal. And it also speaks to the vineyard in the way that people tend, if they're going to buy a scenic photograph, to be very place-orientated. Right. My favorite spot is Edgartown, and my favorite spot is Lambert's Cove, it's Gay Head. But with this, it really, expresses the joy of Martha's Vineyard in a way that is universal and not tied to place. It's about the human expression of that and not an expression of beauty in a place. But it also really celebrates a community yes. in OB yes. on that beach it does. that is safe for them it does. and sacred and it's really 
beautiful and lasts forever because of that. Yeah. It's really, really incredible. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get back to all of these people because um, we have time, which is such a luxury today. And thank you for being here. Also, if you don't have time to stay the whole time, that's okay too. I just want everyone to know it's a Thursday and a lot of people have lots of places. So thank you for spending so much of this time with us. Brad, um, Brad Silverling is a really, really successful director and producer and filmmaker and has been coming to the vineyard for a really long time. And there are little Easter eggs even in your work and like links to Martha's Vineyard if you are someone who loves this island as much as everyone in this room here does. So he's also married to Amy Brenneman, a gorgeous actress, and the two of them are featured in the book together. Amy is rehearsing a play in Pasadena right now, otherwise I know she'd be right next to you and you guys could... She'd be in front of you. She'd be in front of you. Her curls might block out your sweet face, but I'm so thrilled that you're here and I would love to hear sort of how you first started coming and how it inspires your creativity as a filmmaker sure. and a television maker. Well, um, still a little emotional for me. I lost my squirrel, Chester. <laughs> <laughs> I lost a beautiful bird, like an ornate bird cage. That's a yeah, shame. I know, it happened, I never knew. Um, that is a very good callback. I'm telling you, bring yes. it back, bring it full circle. So here's what, my arm hairs stood up. So I should have been here in 1974. I got here for the first time in 1976 because I had a family in, at that point, New Hampshire, a grandmother, and I said, you, for my birthday, please take me to this place, Martha's Vineyard. Because in the summer of 1974, Jaws was made here. Mm -hmm. And I, as an 11 year old, went to see the film on opening day, first screening. Nobody could tell me a thing, no spoilers. So you were that kid? I was that kid. Yes. And I had my, my father had been a producer of documentary films and then had moved into network television as an executive. So it, this wasn't. This was just me as a young audience wanting to go see this film. He dropped me off on the way to work. I went to see this film, and by the time it was done, first of all, halfway, halfway in, I didn't know if I was going to stay. I was so flipped out. But by the time it was done, I, I said, okay, who did that to me, and who has that job? I had such a concrete sense of a storyteller taking me through an experience. And I became very, I, I stole my dad's Super 8 camera that night out of his closet and started to make films. And so, but I, I, I don't, I just wanted to go to Mecca. I wanted to find where was that film in this, in this place. And so I came here in the summer of 76. Uh, because the film had come out in 75, and that was when all the big blue buses were going around the island, and I was only here for the day, and I got on to one of the buses, and the great thing was just about anybody who wasn't otherwise hanging out at a camp had been an extra, so everybody knew everything. And so I sat up by the driver, and he pointed out every last location. And in the process, I saw the island, and I'm a kid from Los Angeles. And the Pacific is beautiful, but the topography doesn't know from this topography. 
philosophy. And so I was very bewitched. And so over the next few years, I would, again, reach out. I had a great aunt who was alone, and I said, can you take me to the island for a few days? And it was like, I, when I, yeah, I remember, so, and, and so I worked backwards. I had a little Super 8 camera, and I started making these silent shorts. But I never got my hands on an actual beautiful still camera for about four years, until about four years later. So when I was 15, I came to the island. I, again, family member, can you bring me to Martha's Vineyard? So I was here for four days. My father loaned me, because he wised up and hid all the rest of his good stuff, but he loaned me his still camera. And I had a muscle get released here. I came in between the light and between the topography. When I put that lens to my eye, single reflex camera, I saw, I just saw storytelling. And I had been, again, running around with a Super 8 camera, but I didn't realize that my eye would really open finally. And it, it wasn't just because I had a camera, it was because it was here. And I went to these <clears throat> key locations for me just of light and textures and certain docks at certain moments in Town Harbor and running here and there. And so it's always had this resonance for me. When I met, I rented throughout uh, graduate school and when I got out of school, I met my wife at work. I really hoped that she liked this island. If not, it was going to be a deal breaker. <laughs> and fortunately, she did. She already had her own relationship with it. She was from Connecticut. And so we, we rented until we bought our first home up here in Chilmark in 2000, right before our, our first child was born. And that, uh, that fall, God, was it fall? Yeah, it was the fall um, of two, no, 2001. I had made a film that I shot in the North Shore uh, up in Gloucester and Marblehead, a film called Moonlight Mile. Uh, and that was the other crazy thing. I bought my home here, Amy and I bought our home, and I met this young kid, then 19, in LA when I was trying to cast the lead, who was a version of myself. It was a very autobiographical film. Mm -hmm. And that was Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake came and sat with me. And we discovered that I, the home I had just bought was right next to his parents' home. And he had grown up coming here. So we made the film up in the North Shore, but I had an opening image that I always, I needed to get and I knew where I was going to do it. And that was, uh, it was an opening image of the movie. It's a dream of his where he's supposed to be deeply in grief, but in the dream he's walking on water in in a funeral suit and doesn't realize that he's not in the water and that moment completely spins him out he's very and then he wakes up so I got a camera package found a local camera uh, a motion picture camera assistant from Boston we went out at sunrise to State Beach which again for me with its surface and with its light was going to be my own callback to Jaws, but also just an image. Go out just to shoot an image. And as we're ready to roll, it's so funny talking about people who go and have their water ritual. We're rolling, and all of a sudden, from camera left, this perfect 
swimming figure in silhouette going right, I couldn't have choreographed it better. Going right, and I'm hitting the camera assistant saying, are you rolling, are you rolling? He's like, yeah. And it was the most stunning thing. I don't know who that person is. They're in my movie. They're in the opening of this film, and I always thought, God, if this person finds out and they don't like it, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but it's it. We're striking, so that person. Yeah, exactly. Now for that, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that was just one of those things, and so I love that 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 for me had great meaning, and and I I spend a lot of my time writing when I'm here out in the parking lot in Manimsha by the Texaco. <laughs> I'm sort of of banal tastes, and so I, I know there's a, it's funny, it's been removed for the summer, but there's a little picnic bench right there behind the Texaco. I love that spot. And the buoy there, to your, to your point, yeah, I have sort of managed to sneak the sound I recorded of the buoy in every film, sometimes playing itself, meaning as a, as a buoy or as a, and other times just buried in the, the thing, yeah. If you've seen the book, you know that the images are so breathtaking and really feel like, I don't know, it, in film we call it cinema verite. So, so Elizabeth Cecil, yes. she is, and Cecil? Cecil. Oh, it's right, okay. Um, is an editorial and commercial photographer and she specializes in food and lifestyle and travel. You've also been a teacher here on the island, sort of helping pay it forward in that way. Um, but talk a little bit about how you somehow magically created these stories in every chapter where we felt like guests in the home or the studio of these incredible creatives. Um, well, I think that's partially because of the subjects were so willing to let me come into their homes and their studios or private spaces and just kind of work with them and be with them. And I think having that openness um, is half the battle, you know, mm -hmm. just creating authentic images, which is always what I try to do. And, um, and Tamara had a really specific vision and, um, and I feel like listening to, oftentimes Tamara and Amanda were interviewing while I was taking pictures. And so I got to kind of like listen while I was working, which was, Kind of a unique experience. I don't usually do that. I'm usually working alone. We got so. into like a really great rhythm, and um, I was able to do then portraits either before or after, which I always like. Just want them to feel natural and um, relaxed, and I think I do an okay job of, with people with that. And um, usually people feel pretty comfortable, or I hope so. <laughs> and so um, I don't know. I was really fortunate to just have a, a really great creative group to work with, and. Some people had really fun ideas. Um, it was just really fun, and everybody was just so different and lovely. And um, some people I knew, some people I didn't. So it was nice to um, to work with people that I worked with before, but then also get to have new relationships and right. and meet people. And I think um, what I love about being here is the community. Um, and I've been here; it's my twentieth year here. So I feel so lucky to be here and to have artists to bounce ideas off of and work with and collaborate and um, you don't get that everywhere. It just doesn't exist in a lot of places and we're very lucky. Can I, Brooke, can I ask you a question? You and Tamara are old, old friends. You've probably collaborated on other things over your lifetime. How did, like, how did Tamara and Amanda, how did they present this to you? 
What did you think it was going to be? What surprised you when you saw the book? I, um, <laughs> I was just, you know, thrilled that Tamara wanted me in it. How did she describe it to you, if you recall? She, uh, she said, I just, I don't want it to be, um, you know, a boring book about people's houses and, and their lifestyle here. And I, I just, I know Tamara, so I knew it was going to be getting down in the gritty truth of it all. No, so, the truth is that Brooke just says yes to everything. <laughs> Don't tell them that. I mean, I just went to the Playhouse three or four nights ago, and Brooke loaned herself after probably spending many days not on the beach, which, but not in your studio, uh -huh. rehearsing. She did a reading. And if you know Brooke, you know that she is a yes person. And if there's benefit, if there's this or that, just call Brooke and she will participate. So it wasn't really challenging to have her be in, and I really wanted to show her paintings because people know Brooke as an actress, first and foremost, but she's an incredibly talented artist as a painter as well. So I first came to this island originally, originally, because Alexander Styring is my best friend. We were roommates together forever in LA, and I first came here with her family. But I got to meet one of her best friends right away, you, in your store. By the way, Carly Simon was also there. And it was very heady for a girl from Teaneck, speaking of Leonia. Um, but I think that, A, anything that I bought at that store, whether it be a poncho, a pair of shoes. And by the way, these were really big deals for me as a young artist to purchase at your store. And I remember thinking, but this will last. And by the way, 25 years later, every single thing I got at your store has lasted. And then my daughter wears. Like, that's how long I, how old I am and how beautifully made your items in that store were. But the sale, like when there was a sale, that was a really exciting thing. Are we getting a little sidetracked? <laughs> <laughs> because, because you're an artist too. You're yeah. not just a connector. Your eye, your aesthetic, and all of that. When I was looking through this book, it really felt mm -hmm. like Midnight Farm to me. Beautiful, beautiful, hand-curated moments and incredible people who have the integrity and the values that are so important to you, not just as artists, but as human beings. So, so thank you, thank because you that was my well, entree with this place. And the store was really, because I had it for so long, it was the place that I met so many people that are in the book, yeah. my community of people that live here. Um, so I, that was really a, an important place for me to feel part of this community uh, as a year-round person when I moved here with my kids. I think a lot about the title you chose for this book. I know I have a 19-year-old daughter, and I'm still on certain days like, should it have been Georgia? Because Eva's really nice, too. Like, naming is a really hard thing, children especially, but anything that you have to name. So I love Vineyard Folk. I think you came up with the perfect title. But Michael, I guess I want to ask you, what does Vineyard Folk mean to you when you hear that title, that phrase? 
it, I think it encapsulates a feeling that I've always felt when I was a year, more especially when I was a year rounder here. Uh, so I've been here about a year and I was in the VFW in Oak Bluffs for some reason or another. I can't remember why I had to meet with someone. So there's a man sitting down at the middle of the bar nursing his beer and he looks over and he says, oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah, it's me. <laughs> what? <laughs> and he says, you're that guy. Every time I see you on the road and I wave, you don't wave back. I'm like, well, and I'm from you know, New York and kind of fresh out here still. And I said, well, I don't really know you. And he said, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> and I said, bam, you're right. What does that have to do with it? And for me, that's what Vineyard Folk is. Yeah. You know, it was smile and wave. Yeah. You know, we're here. We're yeah. all here. You know, hey, uh, you know, just speaking that. to people that you didn't really, you recognize their car. Yeah. You know, but we were still here, so that. Yeah. That encapsulates it. Mm -hmm. uh, what you both. We're all going to take that with us today. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And so thank you. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to all of you. And thank you for your book, truly. Thank you so much. You're and so it's welcome. called Little Known Facts. Yeah. And if you want to walk and listen to something really fun and creative, it's her podcast, which is, you've probably, 500 people, I mean, how many? We're close. We're yeah. like in about 370 episodes. So yeah. there's oh something God. for everyone, but yeah. I can't wait for this to be a part of it, too. Anyway, thank you all for being here today. The books are over there, and you can meet the artist. Thank you, thank you. Before I sign off on this episode, a huge thank you to Sonia Josephson. Sonia is the program coordinator for the Aquina Public Library and just the loveliest human. And I was so happy that we got to do this together. And remember to support your local public libraries. They are heaven on earth. Little known fact, now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on YouTube. That's right. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Subscribe and enjoy. Little Known Fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. 
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.